Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Before we read, let's pray together. Lord, we ask that uh, the words that we speak today and that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Hear the word of the Lord according to uh, the Apostle Paul. What then uh, are we to say is gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who, without works, trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. So David speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, anybody like M&M's? I love M&M's. Um, I even like to say it fast like that because it's just more fun. The thing I like to do when I eat M&M's is to get them all out of the bag and then arrange them by color. Some of you are laughing because either you do that too or you know someone who does and you think it's crazy. Uh, and I arrange them by color and then sometimes I might rearrange them into a pattern. It depends on what M&M's I have and in what combination, you know, just to get everything aligned Properly, I like my world like that. I like all my M&Ms to be in right relationship with one another. Uh, my mom is the same way. She arranges her M&Ms. And I haven't let my daughters have too many M&Ms yet, but they've had a few. But I've noticed this. When Emmy eats Fruit Loops, which is my favorite breakfast cereal, uh, and she loves them too, she tends to eat them by color. So she'll pick out all of the blues and say, Edie Blue. You know, and then she'll pick out all the oranges and she eats them by color. So I think she's following in that chain uh, between my, from my mom to me to her, where we want our worlds to be aligned. Uh, what we're talking about today uh, in our ongoing series, uh, where we're taking some of John Wesley's great sermons as a reminder, sort of, of the basics of Christian faith. What we're talking about today is, in a sense, alignment. What it means for us to be aligned properly and rightly with God. What it means for us to be aligned with uh, one another even. And then what it means for us to be aligned with ourselves in the way that God intended. And the biblical word for this, I've been accused recently of using too many big words, but we're just going to roll with it because it's right there in the passage that we just read. So we've got to talk about it. Uh, the word for that biblically is justification. And you've heard me mention this before, and I'll, so, but I'll use the analogy again until everybody has it in their heads well. Justification is a biblical way of talking about alignment, what it means to be aligned in the right way with reference to God. Probably your Bible has uh, passages like this where all of the 
uh, you know, the end of the text is all lined up and synced up with each other. And that's called a justified margin. It's the same idea. Everything is lined up properly. And what we read here in this passage from Paul, writing to the Romans, is that our alignment with God, our justification with God, being in a right relationship with God, comes not as works, not as something that we earn or something that we do, but rather as the gift of God that is given to us when we believe. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith is the basis for our right relationship with God. Now, sometimes we Christians, especially in the South, we use other language for that. Sometimes we use the phrase, getting saved, or got saved, and that's not bad language. It's not, necess- it's not strictly, it's not a biblical quotation in the way that justification is, but the concept is there. Sometimes we use the language of a, a relationship with Christ. That's another helpful way of talking about it, but today we're going to use the actual biblical language, and the biblical language is justification by faith, or to be justified by faith. If you want to sort of insert those other terms into what I'm talking about today, that'll be a good, if that's helpful to you, you can keep those things in mind in terms of what we're talking about today. So, what does it mean to be justified with God? We'll talk about four things today. One, why we even need to be justified. Why is that something that we need to be aligned rightly with God? Then what justification is, and we've given a hint of that already, but we'll go a little deeper into what it means for us to be put back into a right relationship with God. Uh, Then third, who can be justified? Who is able to be justified with God? And then four, how we can be justified. How we may receive right relationship, right alignment with God. So one, why do we even need justification? Why is this a thing? Why is this something that we're concerned with at all? If you think back to the series that we've been on for the last couple of months and recall what we've been talking about, it will become clear. You remember that we are created in the image of God. That was one of the the first things we talked about in the sermon series. And we talked about how even though we are made in the image of God and the rest of the world is supposed to know who God is by looking at human beings, so it needs to be made in the image of God, that we have uh, not done as we should. We've fallen into sin. We call that original sin, the sin that we can't escape that's in everything we do. God, though, God has given us free grace. Even though we had no ability on our own to respond to God, God has given us, through Christ, the opportunity to respond to God and to accept God into our lives and begin to say yes to Jesus, to begin to say yes to God. That is the gift of God's grace to everyone. The very fact that we can respond is the gift of God's grace. And so with that grace, God then leads us to repentance and leads us to awakening. We can begin to see our lives as God sees them, or at least have a start of that, where we can uh, uh, begin begin that process of, of waking up to what it really means to follow Christ, what it really means to follow God. And so, 
We who uh, were made to be perfectly in union with God but have fallen very far short of that have been given the gift of being able to be restored to the image of God. And so we are in need of the gift of God to make that complete, to bring us back into that proper alignment. That's what we've been talking about in a sense or leading up to all through the last several weeks. So we know that on an individual spiritual level. But it's not just an individual spiritual level in which this is important. It's also important for the whole world and from the perspective of what it means for us to be God's people together. If you go back to uh, the call of Abraham, and Paul is, of course, has Abraham on his mind as the preeminent example of faith. When God calls Abraham, he makes him a promise. And there's two parts of that promise. One part we almost always remember, at least this is the, the Sunday school part that we tend to remember, that God promises Abraham that he's going to make a great nation out of him, and that will become the people of Israel. And so God is calling one person through whom a whole group of people will, uh, will come into being who are God's people, and God is going to be with those people and use those people. But there's a second part to that promise. Because God tells Abraham that not only will he make a great nation out of his descendants, but God also tells Abraham that through him all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So from the very beginning of God's plan, God intends to call all people to him through this group of people that he has a particular relationship with. We no doubt know at least the sketch of the story of Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel. How they grow into this, uh, uh, this tribe who then goes into exile or, or goes into slavery in Egypt. And in Egypt they become more and more and more numerous, but they are enslaved. And then God hears the cry of the people who were enslaved, and he sends Moses to call them out. And so they emerge out of slavery in Egypt, wander through the wilderness, and go to the land that God has promised them. Because God is working with these people. Still the mission, still the mission through this group of people is to bless the world. Not yet there yet, but that's the goal of this people called out of slavery. So they go into the land, uh, and they eventually wind up with kings, some righteous, but most not. Uh, some who wish to follow God, but many many more who don't. And so the people turn their backs on God. And eventually they are carried off into exile in Babylon. Well, really half the nation is destroyed and half is carried off into exile. And so in exile in Babylon, the people wait on God until God brings them out of exile and back into the land. So God still is with his people even though they keep turning their backs on him. But the people who were supposed to be a blessing for the whole world, the people who were supposed to give the gift of a relationship with God to all the other families of the earth are failing in that mission. And so God, who uh, no doubt knew that this would happen from the very beginning, brings their story to completion uh, or to fulfillment through one man, through Jesus. And so Jesus carries out the mission of the people of Israel to be the one through whom everyone might receive the blessing of God. 
whether or not they are part of the people of Israel. And so through Jesus, all of us, unless anyone in here is Jewish, has obtained access to God. We're all Gentiles. We don't belong in the system. We're supposed to be part of the families of the earth that will be blessed through the people of Israel. But now God has called us and made us a part of that family and has called us in to be God's people together. And so that gift has been given, that, that bringing into a right relationship, that status has been given through the gift of Christ. So there's, there's personal failure, there's our own personal sin that we all know in our lives, our anger, our greed, our fear that manifests as hate, all of the ways that we know personally that we fail God. God can make that right. God promises to make that right. Uh, and we need that on a personal level. But the world itself needs it too. Because we all know that the whole world is in chaos. Um, and people in every generation have watched the news or read the newspaper or just looked at the world around them and said, you know what, this isn't right. The world is not as it should be. We need God to come and make things right. And that is what we need. That is the promise that is available to us. That's why we need to be justified. So what is justification? When we talk about when we talk about justification, what does that refer to? I've given a hint of that already. It refers to being in a right relationship with God. The word, though, justification, comes from, well, to justify is one Greek word, and that's, well, that's related. So justify is dikaioo, uh, uh, and then justification is dikaiosune. Those same words can be translated as to be made right, to justify, or uh, righteousness. Righteousness. So the idea of justice and being right, the idea of justification and righteousness are all related. These are words that we might expect in a courtroom when the judge pronounces the accused not guilty. That's the word that we would expect. The kaiasune. This person is righteous. This person is justified. Notice, notice that uh, this pronouncement of justification for us to be in a right relationship, for God to say that we're in the right, we're told here in this passage comes as the gift of God uh, that is made real in our lives by faith. Sometimes we think that we can earn God's favor or that God will love us if we are holy and good. Now, being in a home, holy and good is something that we are called to as Christians, but that comes afterwards. Right? So we can't earn God's favor. Abraham didn't earn God's favor by doing all the right things and thus God loved him. No, God loved Abraham. God justified Abraham and said he was right because Abraham put his trust in God. Notice, too, that justification is something different from just God ignoring the wrongdoing that we have done. Sometimes we do this in our personal lives. Someone has wronged us, and rather than really engaging in deep forgiveness and acknowledging what was done was wrong and addressing it and being restored in our relationship, because that's hard, what we'll do instead, if someone has wronged us and we just want to move on, we'll say, oh, well, that's okay. 
Oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. Not a big deal. Even though it's a big deal in our hearts still. And we're still angry about it. And we haven't actually done anything to restore the relationship. We just pretend. We just gloss over it. Justification is not God glossing over it. Justification is God actually dealing with the wrongdoing. And how does God do that? The, the theologian Miroslav Volk, who I've, I've talked about before, he, he points out that when we um, do wrong, that there's a permanence to it. That the wrongdoing attaches to the wrongdoer. That we, when we do wrong, it's almost like we have a tattoo on our forehead that tells everyone what we've done. Uh, and even if they don't know that there's something that indelibly put on our reality, because we can't undo the past. And so the wrongdoing that has been done, has been done. And we may move on, we may... Uh, try to pursue a better life, and we may even come to a better life, but that reality of wrongdoing is still there. How can it be dealt with? How can we separate the wrongdoing from the wrongdoer? Well, it takes a miracle. And Paul says that it works a little something like this. That we all, because of our sin, die. But God, in Christ, has died with us. So that even though we die in our sins, Christ dies with us. So that when Christ is made alive, we may be alive with him. And so it is God coming in the midst of our wrongdoing, knowing it for what it is, seeing us as we really are, that is the God who loves us. Who doesn't just ignore our sin and say, ah, oh, well, we just won't count that one against you. It's to deal with it deeply, so deeply, in fact, that God gave himself gave his own life to separate the wrongdoing from the wrongdoer. We deeply need that. That's what it is to be put back in a right relationship with God. And so who can receive that? Who can receive justification? Who can have their rightness with God restored? Well, there's really only one kind of person that can be made right with God. And that is the ungodly. The ungodly are the only people who can be put back right with God. Notice again, we can't earn it like so often we think we can. So a lot of what people think is Christianity is really just behavior modification. Okay, if I just do all the right things and I follow the teachings of the church and I, you know, if I give enough and if I do nice things for people, and then if I obey the right, you know, things I'm supposed to do in my life, then God will love me, and that's what it is to be a Christian. Christianity is much more than that. Now, of course, holiness is important, but a lot of times we who are Christians like to dress ourselves up and pretend that everything is right in our lives, and we, uh, and we, you know, uh, there's a, I forget who it was, but someone once said that a lot of Christians have been uh, starched and ironed before they were washed, okay? We like to do our starching and ironing and dress ourselves up as nice, happy, uh, life was good, um, and, uh, and that's what, we, so thus we're right with God, Christians. Or, to anybody know the Waylon Jennings song, The Waymore Blues, when he says, uh, God, uh, what is it, uh, want to get to heaven, got a D-I-E, got to put on your collar and your T-I-E, so much of us think that that's what it, the Christian life amounts to, that we dress up in the right ways. Uh, literally and metaphorically, and then we belong to God. 
But what the Bible says, what the gospel says, what Jesus says, is that if you want to be one of his people, then you need to be one of the ungodly. Because Jesus has come for the lost, he's come for the sick, he has come for those who are hungry, he's come for those who know that they are in need of God. Because to know that you're in need of God is itself an act of faith. Because what we often do is think that we don't need God, we're trusting in ourselves, we can make our own lives right. Um... And that's essentially the sin of Adam, thinking that he knows better than God. And that's so often what we do, thinking that we can get our lives right apart from God. But we need to take the leap of faith that uh, is required when we say, we're going to trust God, we're going to trust Christ, we're going to trust the Spirit in our lives rather than trusting ourselves. Rather than trusting ourselves. And so then, how can we be justified? How can we begin to put our trust in God and not in ourselves? And we've already given several hints of it. But the answer to that is faith. If you want to be justified, if you want God to say, you are in the right, well, the way that happens is through faith. Through faith. We are justified by faith and not the works of the law, Paul says. What kind of faith? What's this faith look like? Well, it's not just the faith of the heathen, Wesley says, when he talks about this. You know, everyone has faith of some sense or another, or at least has the ability to have faith of some sense or another. You, we might know people who, who aren't really Christians, but they want to live a good life. They pursue sort of God as they know Him. Um, they may not acknowledge you know, uh, the, they might not acknowledge Jesus, but they say, you know what, we know that there's a higher power and I want to live my life in accordance to that. And people uh, before Christianity even would, would do that. Um, and that is, that is one kind of faith, but it's not the faith that justifies. And Wesley says it's more than the faith that the devil has. The devil has faith. Uh, because the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows that God is real. Uh, he, in a sense, knows what God has taught. He just doesn't want to abide by it. Right? So it's more than just knowledge. Faith is more than just acknowledging the reality of God. Because even the devil can do that. And our faith has to be more even than Jesus' disciples while he was alive. And those disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They left all to follow him. They perhaps have materially given up more than we ever but it requires more than that, because even they who are following Jesus don't have yet the full picture. Our faith in Jesus has to be the faith in Jesus who died and who rose again. That is the content of our faith and our confession together. That we believe in God who became flesh, who took on our very existence, and who died. And we can put our trust in that kind of a God. And we believe that Jesus got out of the grave. That God, the Father, um, that the Father gave life to the Son again. That Jesus uh, rose from the dead so that we may have life with Him. And it is faith in the resurrection, in the resurrection of Christ, that enables us to put our faith in Him. We put our trust in Christ as the, as the object of our faith. We put our trust in Him. 
But Jesus isn't only the object of our faith. Jesus is also the content of our faith. Because we can have faith, or we can have faith in Christ because of the faithfulness of Christ. Let me say that again. We can have faith in Christ because of the faithfulness of Christ. Christ was faithful to God throughout his whole life. Christ uh, was faithful to God by living a sinless life. Christ was faithful to the Father by going to the cross. And Christ was faithful, even on the other side of death, God being faithful in him, bringing him to life again. Christ himself is not only the one in whom we have faith, the object of our faith, but he is also the content of our faith. He is the one who enables us to have faith in him. Because of his faithfulness, we may have faith. Look, if by justification by faith, all we ever do is look at ourselves and our neighbors and say, do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? Then really all we've ever done is look at ourselves. And really we've just turned faith into another kind of work. Like we have to get to an like X level of faith. And if we're just looking at ourselves in our own sort of inward turn, then we'll never get there. Because our faith has to be in something outside of ourselves. And our faith has to be in Christ who overcame the world, who overcame death, and who makes it possible for us to have a new life. We may have faith in Christ because of the faithfulness of Christ. So don't look at yourself, strictly speaking. Look to Christ. Look to Christ and put your trust in Him. My appeal to you today is if uh, you don't have that faith, uh, pray that God would uh, do a miracle in your heart today uh, to know that you uh, are His, so that you may know that you are His. And pray uh, that you would put your trust in Christ. If you already know that that's you, that you've put your trust in Christ, pray today that God would confirm you in that faith, because justification, our faith, isn't a one-day, one-experience thing. It is a transformative life. It is abiding with Christ. So pray that God would sustain you in your faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we look to you. Lord Christ, we look to you. We put our trust in you. We know that we can't save ourselves. We can't make our own lives right, but that you can make our lives right. And that you have been faithful so that we may put our faith Lord, we ask that you would be with us and grace us again. Indeed, grace us continually that our whole lives may be characterized by this great truth that you have counted us yours by faith in Christ.